Hello. Hello. Good morning and welcome to King's Arms Church Online again. It's great to be together in this way and we hope you've had a good week. We've had quite a good week, haven't we? It's been eventful. Yeah, we've had a, we got to go out somewhere a bit different this week as a special treat. Actually had to take the dog to the vets. Yes. So you can just see over to the right. Oh, she's feeling a little bit sorry for herself. Um, so all you animal lovers now are being all sympathetic, but she's going to be okay. Just a bit of antibiotics, but a little bit of excitement for us. Yes, it was. And uh, excited to be together today. And thank you so much for joining us uh, wherever you're watching this and engaging online. And we are going to kick off today by having an update from our amazing King's Arms project. And uh, as many of you know, we're currently working through the Beatitudes of Jesus' teaching and the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, together we're looking at blessed are the merciful. And there's no better way to put a spotlight on those who are showing mercy to those who need it than to look at our very own King's Arms project who've been working with the homeless for uh, three decades. And so we're going to hear a quick update and learn about ways that we can be engaging with the poor at the moment. So over to you, Kirsty. God loves the poor. The scripture's full of him talking to us about how we're to make room for the last, the lost and the lonely in our lives. If we want relationship with God, we need to be in relationship with the poor. The King's Arms Project is all about working with people who God loves and is calling us to. We believe that there is no such thing as a hopeless case. We believe that no one is too entrenched in poverty to be able to find a way out of it. We believe in the value and dignity of human life, that God loves all of us and has a place for all of us. And part of what we do is drawing people out of poverty into the life that God has for them. Our night shelter provided over 2,600 bed spaces last year for rough sleepers. Our outreach team go on the streets early in the morning and late at night looking for people who need a smile, maybe a cake, a conversation and support and guidance to help them get off the streets. Our Move On Housing provides 40 bed spaces for people to have community, to learn to live in a house and to live together. Our Pathways programme creates space for people to learn life skills so that they can maintain tenancies, so they can gain employment. We're all about treating somebody as the whole person, helping them from the streets to be able to gain the life skills to belong in community. If you'd like to partner with us at the project and grow in your own relationship with the poor, then there are a number of different ways you can do that. We have something called These Five Things, one of five different ways in which perhaps you could help us. The first is opportunity. Could you provide an opportunity for somebody to either volunteer or take up employment in your workplace where they can learn skills and become a contributor in the economy? Two is introduce. Perhaps you could introduce us to somebody of influence who you know from your friends or again from a workplace who could help us with things like corporate social responsibility. Three is donate. Perhaps you'd like to donate to us. You can do this in a one-off or on a regular basis. Four, perhaps you'd like to fundraise for us. You could bake a cake, go for a long walk, run, swim, do something fun with your friends that could help raise money for us at the same time. And five, you could pray for us. We have a monthly newsletter that goes out and groups of people who intercede for the project on a regular basis and we'd love you to be part of that with us. I was hoping today to bring a client along who could tell you his story, but wonderfully, he's actually working and so can't make it. So I'll leave you with a slide that he sent us. God bless. This is Albert's story. In 2017, 
I was in a psychiatric unit and living in the street before going to the night shelter. I didn't realise I was still useful and could still do a job. It gave me back hope and confidence and I thought, don't throw in the towel yet. Through Pathways I volunteered at ALF and I've been working there for three years now. I've been promoted twice and I'm a goods manager. Thank you so much. It's so good to hear from the project. And I just love hearing about how God is using the project to help and serve people at this time. They really, really are making a difference. And we just want to encourage you to have a think about um, which of those five options you could maybe partner with to um, bless and help and support the poor at this time. And if you do want to find out any more about what the project are doing, or connect in any way, then just visit them at kingsarmsproject.org. Brilliant. Well, we're going to worship God together, and uh, Matt and Mary are going to be leading us in a time of worship together today. I just encourage you, wherever you're engaging with this, then let's just worship God with our whole hearts. And uh, you may notice that today's worship set is recorded in a slightly different location. And uh, we were very kindly offered an empty church building to uh, record in. Uh, just as a slightly different creative space. And so we're just expectant of meeting God together today as we worship. So I'm going to pray and we're going to dive straight in. So Father, we thank you together today that you are worthy of our worship. You're worthy of our praise and our adoration. Thank you. You're the great God, the eternal God. You're the sovereign God. We thank you that while the nations uh, rage and are in uh, a ferment, Lord, thank you that you are absolutely secure, ruling and reigning with absolute peace and sovereign power. And so, God, we come together today to give you our honour and to say that we love you and we thank you that you are at work in our lives, Father God. And we just say, Spirit, will you rush in on us as we worship together today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
Forever lifted high 
Jesus, thank you so much for your presence. We love you so much. And together we want to say yes and amen to all of your promises. And I thank you that your promises are true. I thank you they're faithful. They are trustworthy. And we choose together to build our lives on the promises of God. Yes. Lord, I want to thank you for your promise that when we um, turn to you, we are totally forgiven. I thank you for your promise of eternal life, that one day we will be with you in heaven, enjoying your presence. No more tears, no more upset, no more confusion, just enjoying your presence. Mm. And God, I want to thank you as well for your promise that all things work together for the good of those who love you. And I just want to release that promise over um, all of us right now, mm. that all things will work together for our good because we love you. We say yes and amen to that promise. I thank you for your yes. promise that you are our healer. And I want to pray for those watching right now that are sick, that you would come again by the power of your spirit. And we release your healing power over them right now, over everybody that is hurting, over every mind that is struggling. We release the presence mm. and the blessing of Jesus right now. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, God's word says that he has given us great and precious promises. And we just pray for you right now that you would recall to mind every promise that God has given you. In his words, every promise that he's spoken over your life and that you would hold on to them. We pray for you like Mary treasured those things in her heart about Jesus. We pray that you would treasure the promises in your heart and that you would find great comfort today in the word of God, which is our authority for life. So we just pray right now. Come, Holy Spirit, rest on us, strengthen us with your word today. 
We thank you that your word is a solid foundation beneath our feet. Thank you when everything else is shifting and moving. Your word stays the same forever. Thank you. It's trustworthy and it's true. And so, Father, we choose today again to build our lives upon your word, upon your promises. And we thank you together today for your presence with us. Yes, God. Thank you, Lord. And just where you are, just taking a a deep breath right now. And as you breathe in, just... Just breathe in all the promises, the faithfulness, the love of God. Breathe it right into your soul. And just as you breathe out, just just do it as if you're breathing out your doubt, your fear, all those other things. Just breathe them out into God's presence. Mm. Thank you, Lord. Yes. We love you, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Amen. Yes, Lord. Amen. Well, uh, many of you will have seen uh, the uh, Going Deeper Vision uh, video that we've been showing and it's on our website and really this year we're focusing on this whole idea of going deeper in three areas, uh, deeper into God, deeper into community and then deeper into the harvest with those that don't yet know Christ. And so as a community, we're asking ourselves questions at the moment about what this actually looks like for us personally, as well as us uh, as a whole church. And so we're going to give each other a couple of moments just to pause and reflect on what this might actually mean for you this year and to maybe make some decisions, to do some journaling at home, to maybe write down some thoughts that you have as a result of this vision. And so to inspire us, I thought I'd ask Carol her thoughts on uh, this particular vision this year. So... um, on these three things, going deeper in God, deeper into community, deeper into harvest, uh, which one of those perhaps particularly stands out for you and what are you going to do about it? Okay, um, I think probably the one that stands out is going deeper into the harvest because it's a funny time. We can't really get out into the harvest very well. So what I've decided to do is to pray regularly for revival and I've I've set an alarm on my phone um, every day I'm making sure I pray for revival I'm praying for my family and I'm FaceTiming with a couple of friends and we're praying for God to pour out his spirit on the church and over the nation every week that is brilliant that's just a real brilliant simple response to going deep into the harvest it's just to pray for people that don't know Christ regularly And so for you, it may just be a real simple act of obedience like that that helps you go deeper into one of these areas this year. And so we're going to take a couple of minutes just to pause. And what I want you to do is ask yourself this question. What is God saying to you in these three areas? And what does God want you to do about it? So I'll say that again. What is God saying to you about one of these three areas? And what does God want you to do about it this year? You've got two minutes and then we're going to dive into the word of God together.
Well, it is great to be thinking about how we can go deeper with God in this season. Thank you so much, Phil and Carol, for leading us in that. And it's so good to be speaking with you today. I know this is such an incredibly tough season for so many, whether it's financial concerns or elderly relatives or homeschooling or the myriad of cha- uh, challenges are facing right now, just the little things and the big things. I've had an absolute nightmare recording this today. Uh, the sound didn't work. The lighting's been a nightmare. It's just, it's just like on and on and on. It's like that for all of us, isn't it, right now? Just hassle after hassle. I'm just really praying that you know God's grace and are finding strength in Him. Well, I've, I love hearing in this season stories exactly that. I've heard of, of Jesus reaching us and helping us through each other. One lady I heard of was given money for medical support that she needed. It was so good to hear the hundreds of uh, gifts that we've given to the NHS workers and how blessed they've been by those. I've loved hearing of a friend who was just uh, phoned and just on the right day she received a phone call that gave her such comfort on a t- in a time when she needed it. Kindness, compassion, the mercy of Jesus is so often on display in times like this. And, and that's actually the subject uh, that we're looking at today. We're continuing our series on the Beatitudes or what we've called beautiful attitudes, Jesus' powerful and sometimes surprising statements that are comforting and uncomfortable, sweet and sour. They warm our hearts, they challenge our behaviour in a way that only Jesus can do. And the four first Beatitudes that we've looked at express in one way or another our dependence on God. These next three are the outworking of that dependence. So we've come now to Matthew 5 verse 7, which says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And this beatitude is relatively straightforward on the face of it. People who show mercy to others will themselves be the recipients of mercy. And it makes sense, doesn't it? Interesting, though, that the word for merciful means those whose posture is showing mercy, not just those who engage in occasional merciful impulses, a posture of mercy. Not kicking the dog that time when you were 10 years old is not quite going to cut it in Jesus' kingdom. It's a posture of showing mercy. And what's fascinating about this beatitude is actually the person who wrote it down, Matthew. He's the one who records the words of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. And as he was doing so, he must have been powerfully reminded of the first time he met Jesus. Because he was Matthew, before he met Jesus, he was a tax collector who were hated by the Jews. He was collecting taxes for the invading Roman occupiers. He also wasn't really trusted by the Romans because he was a Jew. So he's got few, if any, real friends. Even his family probably secretly or maybe openly despised him. So when Matthew records Jesus saying, Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy, he must have been drawn back to his own salvation story, where this idea of mercy was the centre of the discussion. We can read it in Matthew 9. I'm just going to read it to us now. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at a tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And Jesus reclined at the table in Matthew's house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining there with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard what they said, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, those who are, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. One of the things I've grown to love in the last 12 months is reading the passage twice using different translations. It really helps us to dive deeper into God's word and apply it to our lives. So I'm going to read it again to us in the New Living Translation. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax, collector, at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? I love that. 
When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. He added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I've come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they are sinners. So we're going to use four questions to open up this passage. What does the story teach us about God? What does it teach us about people? What do we need to do as a result of reading this passage? And who can we share it with? So firstly, what does it teach us about God? There is so much in there about God, isn't there? What does it teach us about uh, Jesus, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit? What does it teach us? Well, firstly, I would say the thing that stands out to me is Jesus in mercy comes to us. Jesus in his mercy comes to us. So often when we talk to people about finding God, we invite them to things. Come to this event. Come on Sunday. And I don't think it's a bad thing. But it's not the primary model that Jesus gives. Jesus goes to them. He visits Matthew in the midst of his sin, in the midst of his brokenness. And then he goes deeper. I want to step into your home. I want to step into the heart of your community. Caroline and I had a bizarre experience some years ago when we were talking to, uh, we are taking a really um, a famous speaker, famous in our world, out to dinner. And, and we realised that as we were driving around Bedford late at night that he didn't like Indian food. It was late on a Sunday night. It's crazy night. I love it, but he didn't. Anyway, we were driving around on a Sunday night, and there's just nowhere else apart from Indian restaurants open. And and so I bravely said, well, why don't you come to our house? We'll cook you something. I couldn't see Caroline's face, but I felt the temperature drop five degrees in the car because what she knew that I didn't know was that we had zero food in the house. And to make it worse, we've been out all day. The kids were legally old enough to be left alone. But let's just say the house looked like a bombshell, like a bomb had gone off. And it was just so embarrassing. And this guy was so gracious, but there was no food. He was surrounded by chaos. It was awkward. And here's the point. Just like Matthew, Jesus rocks up at your house, at my house, and he's not worried about the state of the place. I was speaking to her mum with uh, young kids this week and asking how she was doing with homeschooling. She said, well, pretty good. I'm only losing it with the kids once a day. I loved her honestly. It is tough. And here's the truth, though. Jesus has come to her house. He's come to your house. He's come to my house. Mercy comes to us. And the second thing is this. Jesus with mercy sees us as we really are. Notice Jesus says healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. If you're Matthew, you might be offended. I'm not sick, how dare he? But clearly Matthew realised that he was sick, spiritually sick, financially perhaps wealthy, spiritually broken. And Jesus sees right to the heart. There's no point pretending when you meet with Jesus. His last words are haunting, aren't they? they? For I have come, not to those who think they're righteous, but to those who know they are sinners. When we're tempted to think we've got it all together, that's probably when we've least got it together. If you remember what you, that you're nothing without God's grace in your life, and anything you do that's good is only by the power of His Spirit working in you. It's only the blood of Jesus that means we can even approach God. We're in pretty good shape. What we learn about God is He's looking for humility, He's looking for brokenness. And if He finds you like that, He's like, let's eat together, let's have a chat. Maybe in this season, you need to take a fresh look into Jesus' eyes of mercy. His loving kindness wants to reach you. No need for a mask to collapse into his arms of mercy. Mercy sees us as we are anyway. There's no need to hide. Probably the third and most striking thing we can learn about God is that Jesus' heart is full of mercy. Jesus gets really wound up with the religious leaders, the Pharisees in the story, because they've made religious things trump foundational things. 
And here's the point. There are many things that God asks of us. And sacrifice is certainly one of them. In fact, the Bible said we're to be living sacrifices. But underneath all of that, there's a requirement that God's got on his people. And it's to follow his heart of mercy. It's so easy to, for, for people who think they're following God to forget the basics, the foundational things, before anything else, embody mercy. I've just been shocked in our day just to read what some people write and post online and write to each other. I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about Christians. And it is shocking, so harsh, so unkind, so lacking any sense of mercy or understanding or compassion. Does our digital life reflect Jesus' heart of mercy? That's a great question for us to be asking ourselves. Just a few things from this short story that, that it teaches us about God. Mercy comes to us. Mercy sees us as we are and loves us the same as the Pharisee said. Why does Jesus eat with scum like us, like that, like us? And mercy is right at the heart of God. What then does it teach us about people? That's the second question. What does this teach us about people? What can we learn about us? The first thing that stands out to me is Jesus' mercy propels him. Jesus finds people who are hungry for his kingdom through acts of mercy. He picks Matthew out. Notice he doesn't do it in a quiet space, perhaps when Matthew's having a day off, away from his tax booth. He does it front and centre for everyone to see, while Matthew is sitting there at his tax booth, most likely with a queue of angry people waiting to pay taxes, Roman guards standing around. You can imagine the scene. Matthew would be used to putting up with abuse all day, every day, from people who hated him. And you know what? Deep down, he probably knew that he was guilty and he deserved much of their abuse. He was betraying his own people to the Romans and worse, he was profiting from it. Yet in the middle of that scene, Jesus enters. Come follow me. Mercy. Propelled by mercy. Jesus later said to his followers, as the Father sends me, so I am sending you. He sends us then in the same way that he came. Propelled by mercy. The point is there are people out in the world who on the surface seem far from God or even caring about God, but Jesus is looking for them, he's hunting for them, and he will find them, he'll reach their hearts as we're propelled by mercy. In order to extend mercy, we've got to be proximate to the broken. It requires us to draw a line in the sand, to stand up for the accused, to be a witness to mercy. I remember some years ago hearing Brian Stevenson, who uh, was a, a, a lawyer who represented people in the States on death row. After 30 years of doing this experience, defending the most marginalised, this uh, lawyer, Brian Stevenson, said this, the true measure of our character is how we treat the poor, how we treat the disfavoured, how we treat the accused, how we treat the incarcerated, and how we treat the condemned. Jesus' mercy propels him, and it should propel us into proximity with those who need that mercy, just as he has come to our house. He asked us to go to theirs. And Jesus' mercy attracts. That's the other thing that stands out to me. Matthew 9, verse 10 says this. As Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors, many sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and reclining with his disciples. Notice that Jesus' acts of mercy to one, Matthew, opens the floodgates to many, many others. Hatred spreads, unkindness breathes, and we're seeing that particularly at this time and particularly online. But the kingdom principle is this, that Jesus' actions show us mercy also spreads. Mercy also attracts. Mercy attracts others who also need mercy. That's why 
sharing your story of how God's working in your life is so, so key. Some months ago, a guy came up to me in a meeting, I think I've told you this story before, and he said, you saved my life. I said, well, that's a big claim. How have I saved your life? He said, well, some years earlier, you, you um, spoke at Catalyst Festival. You shared how you and your wife had gone to marriage counselling and how God had met you and spoken to you in that place. And I've never heard a Christian leader share that before. I was suicidal because of the state of my marriage. But my wife and I decided that day we were going to go and find a counsellor. And our marriage has since been restored and we now lead marriage support in our church. Your story of encountering the mercy of Jesus is attractive. It inspires others. The last thing is this. What do we need to do as a result? What do we need to do as a result of reading this passage? 1 John 2 verse 3 says, By this we know, if we have come to know him, if we keep his commands. It's easy to claim to know Jesus, but John's making the point that those who really know him bring his words, his commands to life. So what's Jesus saying to you through this passage? Maybe there's something for you to believe. Maybe it's not a do at all, it's a belief. If you believe that his mercy is for you, do you this week need to meditate on the fact that his mercy has come to find you, it's come to your street, it's come to your house, it's come to your uh, homeschooling chaos or whatever you face, whatever you're facing. Maybe it's time to stop hiding in shame. I remember one young man who always had this guilty look at, at, on his face. Every Sunday I'd see him, he looked guilty, but then he began to believe that Jesus had mercy, had grace for him, and his whole outlook changed. Maybe there's something for you to believe. Maybe there's something for you to do. Someone that you need to show mercy on. They've done a wrong, maybe, even to you, and you need to show mercy to forgive them. Maybe there's someone that you need to get close to. Are you proximate enough to the poor, to the broken? Let's take a minute just to listen to the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, just speak to us now. What do we need to do as a result of reading this passage? Where do we need to show mercy? Lastly, the fourth question is who can we share this with? Here's the exciting thing that I'm learning in this season. God's word is not just for us to consume on our own, it's for us to share. It's not a meal deal, it's a bargain bucket, it's not a tiny salmon bolomon, it's a whole side of salmon, it's a sharing platter. As we begin to put this into practice, it's brought such life. I was talking to a friend about a particular passage the other day and he was showing how hard it was to live out that passage. But that evening, Kai, my daughter, brought up the same passage. I knew God was speaking to him. I just texted him. My daughter's just brought up the same passage. God's encouraging you. God sees your sacrifice. So who needs to hear this story that we read today? Maybe someone who needs to know that Jesus sees them with eyes of compassion and mercy. Maybe someone who is working close to the broken. Maybe someone who sees God as a harsh, uncaring being needs to see God through this story. Let's take time, shall we, not just to put Jesus' words to life in our own lives, but to share the bargain bucket, to give it away. Thanks so much for listening. Maybe may you encounter the mercy of Jesus. May you walk in the mercy of Jesus as you go about your week. Thanks for listening. God bless you. Simon, thank you so much. It's so great to be provoked and challenged in the word of God. And uh, I think for all of us, we've got decisions just to ponder this week. What does it look like to live a life of compassion? How do we show mercy? And how do we live lives of thankfulness for the mercy that God has shown us? 
And I hope you're enjoying our Beatitude series, getting into Jesus' revolutionary words in the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, these things will change us if we get hold of them and obey what they tell us to do. And so uh, that's it for this week. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us wherever you've engaged online. Uh, We miss seeing you in person. Yes, we do. Uh, But praise God that we can be a community still working together, praying together and on mission together. And we just thank you so much for being part of our lives. And we bless you today in Jesus' name. So it's goodbye from her. Goodbye from him. See you soon. See you later. God bless. Bye. Bye.